Welcome to the Milestone Church Podcast. During challenging times, it is easy to focus on the things that divide us, but the Apostle Paul reminds us that we are united with Christ, united in purpose, and united with each other. Enjoy this week's message. Again, I want to welcome you to Milestone Church. I want to welcome those of you in our video venues and those of you watching online. It's good to be with all of you this morning as we finish up our United series. We've done it, we've gone on this journey together. We set out on this journey as a team with some goals. We were hoping as we went through the book of Ephesians and we studied it together that God would do in you what he's done. It's to inspire you, to connect you to him, to his spirit, to cause you not to just get information but to become the people that God created you to be. Not to just hear about the church or to hear about Jesus, but to live it out, to become his hands and feet. And as you saw there, 140 different projects, thousands of you participating and taking what you've received and then giving it freely to others. You know, we've covered a lot of information on this journey. If you haven't joined us, I'd encourage you to go back and watch the weeks that are available for you online. Just look at some of the things that we studied here together, each of these as a week, and the concepts so rich in the book of Ephesians. You know, we gave you the guide as well. If you haven't gotten a guide, we'd love for you to have one as well. It takes you through the entire book of Ephesians, fills you with insights, and helps you to understand it. Here's why we did that. As a team, we were praying for you, and we had three goals for each of you. The first goal was we wanted each of you to grow in a genuine relationship with Jesus. Not just to know about him, not to just get information, but to know him, to hear his voice, to speak to him on a regular basis, on a daily basis, to grow in your relationship with him. Christianity from the very beginning has not just been a belief system or an ideology. At the heart of the Christian faith is a dynamic, active, daily relationship with Jesus. He's a person, he wants to know you, he wants a relationship with you. So that was our first goal. Our second goal was that you would understand the Bible. We put the whole book of Ephesians in the guide. We wanted you to study it. We wanted you to have confidence. See, it's one thing to hear somebody else talk about the Bible, to hear somebody else talk about something that's meaningful to them. We wanted it to be meaningful for you. If you're in the room, if you're studying, if you're watching along online, you're at least curious. You wanna know more about God. You wanna know more about his word. But we don't want it just to be true because it is true. We want it to be meaningful to you, meaning it's true in your daily interactions, in your relationships, in the way that you see yourself, the way that you see God, and the way that you see the world. And many of us, we learn like anything else in groups. We grow together. We understand as people help us and explain it. So our third goal, you know, we all, it's a, it, the way we do life today can be isolated, it can be lonely, even though we're around other people, we feel disconnected. And I think during this season of time, I would think we would all agree that loneliness, disconnection, the feeling a lack of connection is something that we've all struggled with. And so these groups were an opportunity, whether you're watching online, whether in a Zoom group, or however you did it, to come together with a group of people and understand that God cares about us and the way that we love and serve one another. So that was our prayer, and I know many of you experienced that. Here's the thing, you come to the end of something like this, and if you're like me, you go, how do I know if I got what I was supposed to get? How do I know if I'm actually living this out? How do I know if I, if I finished the job that I was after, if I, if I got what I was, you know, we don't give out certificates, we don't give out trophies, but we want you to grow, we want you to get it. And so we gave you that little grid, but Paul's gonna give us, as we, as we wrap up the series, Paul's gonna give us a very clear way for us to think about it. If you brought your Bibles, turn with me to Ephesians chapter four. Paul's gonna give us, and I warn you, it's a challenging 
goal. It's a challenging metric. It's a challenging way to go, okay, if you really have what I want you to have, here's how you can tell, and, and here, here it is. Here, here's how we know we're united with one another, with one another. That's hard. That's why we left it till the end of the series, right? It's one thing to be united with Jesus. Jesus is perfect. You don't gotta hope he gets better, right? Like, but everybody else, not perfect, including us. So when you hear, I'm gonna be united with one another, well, who is that one another we're talking about? Because, Jed, I don't know if you've been out there in the real world, but some people are easier to be united with than others. That's the way life works. I don't know about you, I love to learn, I love to grow. In some ways, it's never been easier than it is right now to learn. There are some incredible advancements, and technology has made learning really kind of unusual, unlike any other season or moment in history. I've been learning, and one of the ways I've been learning is through this online portal, and I thought I'd introduce you to three of my instructors. They may be familiar to you. I've been in my free time on top of my job and leading my family. I thought I'd just improve myself a little bit. So I've been learning to cook with Gordon Ramsay. I've been improving my basketball skills with Steph Curry, and I've been working on my writing with best-selling author Malcolm Gladwell. These three guys help me, it's part of my life, it's no big deal. Um, I don't know what you've been doing during the pandemic, but this has been my world. And so, you think about that, and uh, you think, you know, it's a little arrogant, I was thinking about it today, having watched all these classes, to think like, these guys are the best in the world at what they do, they're very skilled, and me in my spare time, watch a few videos, and I'll be able to do what they can do, right? Like. That's a little egotistical, but that's my life. Again, um, funny thing about Gordon Ramsay is people have been doing his cooking and then they take pictures and they send it to him to get his feedback on what they do. It's pretty hilarious. Now, I haven't done it yet. I haven't tried one of his recipes. I've been learning about food and how to cook and I'm fascinated by these things. And, uh, but I have looked up what other people did. And one guy took a picture of this meal. He was real excited. He sent it to him and Gordon Ramsay wrote back and said, don't even feed that to your dog. It's like, that's honest feedback, right? Like, it must be, we're in the trust tree. That's a safe place to share, right? And, and I didn't do it with Steph Curry or I didn't do it with Malcolm Gladwell. But I think, here's the thing. This is what's so hard for us because we want to get better. We want to grow. We all have areas of our life where we're like, I think I could do that if I had enough time. We think that way about ourselves. But the truth is there's a big difference between access to information and the ability to actually live something out. And I'm not just talking about cooking or writing or playing basketball. This is certainly true when we talk about the Christian faith. We have access to information. We have access to God's word. We have access to environments. We have things in our heart that we wanna do and yet we can't understand. Why can't I get traction in this area? I'm trying and I'm trying but I don't seem to be making any progress. Those of you who have children during this time, you know, you, you, you've had the joy of participating in their schooling, whether you've ever done that or not. Many of you, I know, coach your kids in sports. I coach all my kids in sports, and it's kind of an exhausting deal. Like in your mind, you watch a Disney sports movie, and you're gonna be like, it's gonna be like this, and you're gonna tell them, and I'm gonna take this ragtag collection of kids, and then at the end, we'll win the championship. Not really, that's not really how it works. You get them out there and you're like, okay guys, let's practice. And they're like, how long is practice gonna take? I'm hot, I'm thirsty. And then this is my least favorite thing they say. Did we win? <laughs> no, you didn't. You didn't win and here's why you didn't win. You didn't practice, right? You just wanted to show up and be awesome but life doesn't work that way, right? Like, again, I'm not, you know, depending upon what kind of coach you want, I'm not the coach who goes like, we showed up, here's a trophy. 
Not really. Like to grow, life doesn't work like that. Just being around people who know how to do it, being exposed to information doesn't produce life change. But what does produce life change, anything that's gonna be consistent, anything that's gonna last, is gonna require us to change. It's gonna require us to give effort as we're gonna see in a moment. It's gonna require us to take the long view. In fact, I saw something this week that I thought was extremely powerful. I thought I'd share it with you. Brilliant guy, writer, researcher, he, podcaster, he's an investor, he owns multiple businesses, he's been in very, a, a whole variety of fields, and he's later in life, he's reflecting on, in all of my experiences, what causes people to change, and he said, I found it's all about the 1% rule. Here's the 1% rule. He said, people are distracted and enamored with so many different kinds of things, they try to do a lot of things, and they end up doing nothing really well. But if we took the approach, if we adopted the 1% rule, and what that means is find just a few things that you're passionate about. Maybe it's being a better dad. Maybe it's your business. Maybe it's a skill in your profession. Maybe it's your relationship with Jesus. And you said, you know what? Every day, I'm gonna ask myself, did I become 1% better today? And if you did that for an entire year, the, the, the ability to say, I'm gonna have the discipline to do this for an entire year. You would come to the end of that year and most people believe, we know there's 365 days in a year. If I did this for 365 days, at the end of the year, I would be 365% better than I was when I started. And he said, we think that and it sounds inspiring, but it's even better than that because we're not that good at math. If you really did it every day for a year, at the end of a year, you wouldn't be 365% better because it's compounding. You would be 3,800% better at whatever you gave 1% for an entire year. I don't know about you, that inspires me with hope. If we'll focus, if we'll say, hey, I wanna get better in this area that matters most, it's possible. Look what the Bible says here in Ephesians chapter four. Again, if you miss the week on Ephesians four or Ephesians three, Ephesians three, Paul's writing about the church. We'll talk about that in just a minute. Ephesians four, he's giving us insight about how in the church, God gives people gifts, and as you serve and use those gifts, you get personally fulfilled and people get built up, and as the church grows, it doesn't become, you don't just become a number that just shifts around and doesn't know anybody. As a church grows, it builds itself up in love as it serves and loves one another. But he comes back in the beginning of this. Remember Paul, when he starts the church in Ephesus, the book of Acts tells us he starts the church. People's lives, they're not just thinking about ideas. Their lives are changing. Their lifestyles are changing. The whole city is turned upside down. There are people who are going, I don't like this Paul guy. Let's get him out. They try to kill him. That's how the church starts. Now, as he's writing the letter, those of you online, if you've been following along, you know he's in prison. He's in prison and he's writing a letter because he's praying and caring for these people that he knows are going to face adversity. He says, as a prisoner for the Lord then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. There it is. We're not even done yet. Anybody else feel like, man, Jed, that's a lot to ask of us. Be completely humble. You ever met anybody who's completely humble? I haven't. I think it's funny, the Bible says, I don't know if you ever noticed, the Bible says in Exodus, now Moses was the most humble man who ever lived. Who wrote the book of Exodus? Moses did. So um, <laughs> even, even in the Bible, right, like Paul had his challenges with humility. 
We don't have a clear picture of humility. Humility, we think it's like, you know, in the ancient world even, humility wasn't a, a, a character trait or a quality people aspired to. That's like, that's a sign of weakness. I think many of us kind of think that today. We pay lip service to it because we've seen false humility, right? False humility is the person who's trying to coax a compliment out of you, and so instead they just go, no one likes me, no one cares about me, I'm the least, I'm the worst. You don't wanna be around that guy, it's a drain. They got an Eeyore spirit, we'll take less of that, right? You want somebody who's, here's what humility is. As C.S. Lewis and Tim Keller both said, humility is not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. You don't just view the world as how it affects you. You see life as an opportunity to be a blessing instead of just blessing others. And the incredible thing about God is when you do it his way, not only do you enjoy it more, but you actually get the benefit that you were looking for when you obey his plans because his purposes are better than ours. So Paul's saying, be completely humble, be patient, be gentle, loving one another. Look what it goes on to say. Here's the point I, was gonna, I want you to see. I underlined it for you there. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. You're like, Jed, I thought, what about the grace of God? Well, well, one guy said it this way, Dallas Willard, the great Dallas Willard said, grace isn't opposed to effort, grace is opposed to earning. It's a paradox in the Christian faith. We don't earn a relationship with God, but once we have a relationship with God, as Paul said, our life demonstrates the gratitude for that relationship by living a life worthy of the calling and like that 1% rule, making every effort in our own ability, in our own strength, in our own obedience to become the person God called us to be. And I love the word there. Look at that little word, to keep the unity of the Spirit. Notice it says keep. Why does it say keep? If you struggle with control, you may want to listen into this part. You and I can't create unity. We can't create peace. We can only keep the unity and keep the peace that comes from Jesus. See, we live in a world that's struggling and grasping to figure out how and where are we gonna get unity? We know what disunity feels like. We know what it feels like when there's tension and anxiety and stress and bitterness and slander. We know what that feels like. Who can solve? So different people emerge and go, we think we can solve it. Like business comes along and advertisements. You might be old enough, remember this? Remember the old days of Coca-Cola where it's like, you know, have a Coke and a smile and it's like, I'd like to teach the world to sing in perfect harmony and like the whole world's gathering in a field drinking a Coke and it's like, maybe if everybody drinks Coke, you know, which is banned at my house, but everybody, if, if you drink Coke, We'll all just be unified in the world and the commercials are real diverse and it's like, man, it's that easy? Let's just get everybody a Coke. We know it doesn't work. Political organizations say, if you just follow our thing, we'll unify. You know, sports teams, listen, and there, there's a value in some of these things and I appreciate the effort to produce this unity, but where does this happen? And I would suggest to you, as I said, Paul's answer for unity, Paul's answer for keeping the bond of peace, for keeping unity, only happens one way. And again, it's not gonna be shocking, I'm a pastor, we're in a church. Paul's point is, it's not my idea, it's God's idea. The only way that you and I can experience unity is through the church. It's through the church. It's not through a business, it's not through a great family, it's not that I appreciate and value all those things. It's not through civic-mindedness and projects. Unity is the result of coming out of the heart of God because it's his idea and he's the only one able to create it. When we try to create unity and peace out of our own strength, we end up frustrated and disappointed with people around us. Now I know what you're thinking, you're like, Jed, come on, have you lived in the real world? Have you been to churches? 
Yes, I've been to churches. I was a pastor's kid. I've been through a lot of different environments. And let me tell you, if we were to compare scars, here's what I know about you. If you've been at church for any amount of time, you've been hurt by the church. Because there is no perfect church. And if there was a perfect church and you and I went, it would no longer be perfect. So what we have to do is we have to deal with this reality. If God says that his diversity, his wisdom, his beauty, his power will be made known throughout the whole world through the church, we have to go, is that really possible? Is it possible that with its challenges, with its drawbacks, with its difficulty, this could actually happen? I think we give up on the church too easy. And like I said, I got church scars, I got all kinds of hurts. Both as somebody who grew up in church, who was around it, before they even chose to be around it, who lived it, who went through experiences, who chose to set down the career that he dreamed of, to enter and to give his life in ministry. 25 years later, I've seen all kinds of pain, compromise, difficulty, abuse, challenges, but let me tell you this, I agree with Paul because the only place this can happen is through the church but we give up before we experience it. Now I know you guys don't give up, you're in the room, but, but it, for the next moment, if I could, my goal is to try to get you to see the church in a whole different view. If you're following online, maybe this will be helpful. Think about this for a minute. Every one of us need water. I'm sure if you stopped and thought about it, there would be a moment in your life we had a rough experience with water. I remember one time with a group of friends being at a breakfast diner, and the, it was a morning rush, and our waitress was great. She was doing her best to take care of us. She was getting water and coffee for the table. She was busy, there were a lot of things happening, so she kinda grabbed one set of waters like this, put her hand in each of the glasses, put her hand in each of these glasses, picked them up, dropped them on a tray. I was like, here they come, I hope she washed her hands. And the water comes along, and you're like, you're looking at the water, there's a couple floaties in there, and you're like, okay, this is not ideal depending upon how, how courageous you are, you'd drink it or you'd be like, can I get a new water? Well, if it was that water or a different water, you, you've had a moment where you drank a glass of water and you're like, something was in that. And I hope it was a floaty, not like some parasite or, or microbe that I can't even see. But, but we've all had that experience. Something's off with this water, but here's what you didn't do. You didn't go, man, I had a bad experience with water, so you know what I'm never doing again? I'm never drinking water again. Think about food, I love food, you love food. Of course you love food. I don't know what food you love, but if we had the time, we'd find a food you love. I love all kinds of food. I love sushi, I love burgers, I love pho, I love, I love some pastas, I love seafood, I love every kind of seafood. I'm getting hungry just talking about it. God created, you know, he could have just made white gruel that was blandless, that had nutrients, that was bland and tasteless, but because he loves us, he creates all these different kinds of food where every day when we eat food, we get to experience the goodness and the grace of God, even if you're a vegan, right? <laughs> I gotta hand it to whoever's selling cow flour. Those brothers are on it, right? Like, cow flour out of nowhere. You could have cow flour pizza. I never wanted cow flour pizza. You could have cauliflower rice. Where does that come from? Whoever's making cauliflower, those brothers are working hard. They're making every effort. Game recognized game. Shout out to cauliflower, right? Like, here's the point. We all love food. If we had the time, we could all say, here's the food that I love, okay? No matter what food you love, we've all had a moment where we went to a restaurant, and it's even a restaurant we like. We ate something, and as soon as we ate it, we're like, something's off. Something is not right. And then we got home later and the body confirmed for us what we already knew to be true. <laughs> Something was not right with what we ate. And so what do you do in that moment? Most of us would be going, I don't know if I'm going back to that restaurant, but here's what you didn't do. 
He didn't give up on food. So here's the question. A bad experience with water doesn't make us give up on water. A bad experience with food doesn't make us give up on food. Why does a bad experience with church make us give up on God or give up on his church? It's the only way you and I can experience unity. Here's why. We learn it through the church. What I know, what I can offer you about being united with one another. I didn't just get it from my mom and dad, though they did the very best they could to raise us in a healthy way. I didn't just get it out of a business book. I didn't just, I learned it in the church with its problems and its challenges and its difficulties. When the Spirit of God hits a group of people who aren't perfect but have a high view of God and his church, who take the word seriously, when the word says, Jesus said, I'm coming back for my church. I love it like a husband loves his wife. If we take that view, if we take that value, we think even with challenges, even with difficulties, it's the way that God set it up so that you and I could be unified. You might be thinking, well, Jed, you don't know my story. You don't know my family. Here's the incredible thing. Day after day, month after month, year after year, we see people with no church background, with family pain, come into this place, they give their life to Christ, and it's not perfect, and it doesn't happen overnight, but their family changes, then generations change, and they all go back to a moment where God intersected our life out of his love and through his church. It starts in the church, and then from the church, it works to the home. See, we think, well, if we could all compare family pain. We all have family pain. The question is, how do we get better? How do we grow? Do we just, you know, go to, listen, there's a value for learning and growing from anywhere, but there's nothing like the church to help us understand how to love and serve one another because we don't create it, we keep it, and we receive peace and unity as a gift from God, not something that the perfect creation, the perfect vacation, the perfect event, the perfect Christmas event, none of those things. If your family pictures are perfect, they're not going to be, but if one year they were, it wouldn't create peace. Peace only comes from God. Starts in the church, goes through the home, and then as it goes out of the lives of real people, it enters the world. So Paul's gonna get real practical. How does this look? How does this actually work? What does it mean? What can we do to be united with one another? Let's jump down to Ephesians 4, verse 29. He's gonna get real specific. He says this, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs that it may benefit those who listen. Now, if you're like me, you hear that, you're like, do not let any unwholesome talk. So you're like, does that mean we can't joke? Does that mean we have to be serious and stoic all the time? That's not what it's talking about. He says, only things that build up. You know, the Bible also says that laughter is like good medicine. Do you know that the average child laughs 300 times a day? The average adult, five times. Life is hard, it beats it out of us. We need reasons to laugh, we need reasons. That you, could be, you could be built up through laughter. Look what he goes on to say. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander along with every form of malice. Here's the kicker, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as Christ, just as in Christ God forgave you. Interesting. We think about how does that work? How do we find, how do we get to a place where we can be united with one another? Most people start in the wrong place. Pennsylvania University, the Ivy League school, recently did a survey on how this works. And they found that the average a person in America, 
that they're overly concerned with the opinion and view of strangers and they underestimate the opinion and view of those people closest to them in their lives. And you think, why is that? There's, there could be any number of reasons. I think one of the reasons is the people who are closest to us, they tend to put us in a box. So we have some people who love us no matter what we do. And, and it's nice for a little bit of a while, but after a while we don't trust them because we know they're just being nice, they're just being kind, but they're not giving us real feedback. If you can't sing and somebody tells you, man, you're an amazing singer, you're like, I don't know if I trust them in the other areas of our lives. But if we have someone else in our life who's, who's put us in a, in a box and said, you'll never be this, you'll never do that, we don't wanna go to that person. Somehow we have this idea that there's a group of people out there, if we find them and impress them, they'll think, you're amazing, everything you do is amazing, we want you to know how great you are. That sounds appealing, but the way that life works is the exact opposite, the way the kingdom works. What you're gonna care about most is what the people closest to you think about, not what someone that you don't know who doesn't know you, who hasn't had enough time to see all the uniqueness of how God made you. We spend too much time worrying about what everybody out there thinks about and not enough connecting with one another. If we're gonna be united with one another, we have to start here before we move out there. Here's what Paul says, how does this work? Number one, we build up others and we don't grieve the spirit. We build up others. We build them up. Every time we talk about encouragement, everybody's like, sign me up for that. I would be encouraging if someone else would encourage me. Everything in the kingdom works the exact opposite. You give first, you encourage first, you build up. What does that mean when I say build up? You know, one way to think about it is to encourage is to put courage in. Maybe if you're online, you're like, what is this? What are you talking about? Here's what it means to build someone up. It means to honor them, to encourage them, to speak truth to them, to promote righteousness, to speak life and faith and hope, and to just continue to do it, to do it every day, to do it when you feel like it and when you don't feel like it, to build someone up, because when you do, you're participating with God in keeping the unity in the environment. And I understand. Some people are easier to encourage than others. I know this because some people that are difficult to encourage live in my house. I know many of you, you, did, well, you weren't planning as we entered into 2020, you weren't planning to have 2020 the entire year if you have kids to become one long coaching clinic. But that's what it's been. They're with us all the time. They're always around and they always need coaching. And, and some in the family, like I said, are easier to coach than others. I was listening the other day to an interaction between two of my boys. One boy says to the other, he says, brother. He didn't call him brother, he called him by his name, but for anonymity, we'll keep it safe. He said, pick up your room, you're a slob. To which his brother said, do you not wanna be my brother anymore? And I said, that escalated quickly. <laughs> and the first brother goes, dad, he never listens to me. I go, son, when do you build him up? Because when I listen to you, you just hammer him. You hammer and hammer and hammer. He goes, Dad, he leaves his underwear all over the floor. I go, I know that's not great, but maybe encourage him. Just tell him what you want to be. Brother, you're great at picking up your underwear. You're the best brother in the world at picking it up. He's like, that would be lying. I was like, just build that sucker up. <laughs> what do I do with you, right? Like, we need that. We need encouragement. And some people fight us when we're trying to encourage them. But here's the thing. It actually works the opposite. When someone encourages you for a period of time, you don't want them to just tell you the things that, you, that are good. You want them to give you honest feedback because you trust their voice. 
The most valuable voices in my life speak to me regularly. They're invited to speak correction and challenge, to offer input, to say, you know what, Jed? You'd be a better husband, you'd be a better friend, you'd be a better dad if you did this and stopped doing that. And I don't go, how dare you? Do you not wanna be my friend? I say, thank you for loving me this way. I'm so grateful for our relationship. Now, the second part is we don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Now, I know some of us were like, what does that even mean? Well, the simple, simple explanation is to grieve is to make sad, and he's a person, and when you talk bad to someone else, he feels bad about it, and it makes him want to leave the room. Look at what John 16, 8, Jesus is describing him. He says, he, when he comes, notice he's not a it, will convict the world regarding sin, righteousness, and judgment. The Holy Spirit's job is to convict the world, meaning everyone, of both sin, the things they need to change, and righteousness, who they are in Christ. It's not your job to constantly remind the people in your life you want to change of the things that they're doing wrong. It is your job to speak truth and love, but it's not your job. It's the Holy Spirit's job. And when you try to do his job, he gets grieved. One of the people in my family, she's an excellent undercover agent for her mom and dad. She watches everything. From the time that she was little, she has watched what everyone else, the funny thing is, she's the youngest. Uh-oh, there goes her anonymity. She's wearing a leather jacket. She's sitting on the front row, and she will give me the breakdown of everything wrong that everybody else in the family is doing. She'll say, Dad, are you aware of the fact of this? And I'll say, thank you for that information. I'm gonna act on it. She was four years old, and she stood up one time in the middle. She goes, everybody quiet. And I was like, uh-oh, what's she gonna say? She's like, everyone do what you're supposed to do. I was like, whoa, that's intense. Some of us are wired that way. We think that if we could just beat people up, eventually they'll do what we want them to. It doesn't work. It actually gets in the way of the Holy Spirit bringing the conviction and the change he wants to bring. Here's the second thing. We deal with our garbage instead of dumping it on others. We deal with our garbage. Garbage is part of life. In your, in your house, you have a kitchen. And in that kitchen, you have a trash can. And you put the trash in the trash can. And when it's, you know, whatever day it is on your week, that trash goes out to big trash, and they take it away. And your life produces garbage. And in our lives, we produce emotional garbage. Paul calls it bitterness and rage and slander and malice of every form. Here's what happens. We have emotions. We have feelings. We have things. Paul had them. Moses had them. You have them. I have them. The problem is not having them. The problem is instead of dealing with them properly, when we take those things and we dump them on someone else. And unfortunately, we live in a world of oversharing where everyone feels like they gotta air their dirty laundry and they gotta get it off their chest in the name of being authentic or vulnerable. Listen, I, all four, don't stuff stuff and never deal with it, but it's not always the right time to overshare and just to say, the only way that I'm gonna deal with this is make everyone else deal with it. It doesn't promote unity. It makes things difficult. You ever been in a situation where you went to someone and they exploded on you and you're like, I have a pretty good feeling that had nothing to do with me. It didn't. So all of us have to have the ability to own that. Are we dealing with the things when we have challenges? Here's the thing. It's not natural for me to have a filter. I feel something, I kind of just say it. But part of my maturity, part of my growth has been understanding that self-control is one of the great gifts God gives us. I've never met anybody who's like, you know what I'm excited about today? I'm like, what? They're like, self-control, it's awesome. <laughs> no. But I'll tell you, people who are mature, people who have great relationships, they pulled me aside at moments. They said, Jed, I know you were feeling that strong. I was feeling it too, but that wasn't the right time and the right audience, and you didn't say it the right way, and you actually made the problem worse by doing that. I said, thank you so much for showing me a better and higher way. 
You're going to have opportunities this week to, to overshare, to let your emotion, you're going to feel things deeply, you're going to want to say things, and just ask yourself, is this the right audience, is this the right time, is this the right heart, or am I dumping on someone else something that's an issue about me, and this isn't going to help our relationship in any way. Here's the third thing. We genuinely forgive others because we receive it from Jesus. See, forgiving is not forgetting. Forgiving is not condoning. And forgiveness is not something we earn. See, the Bible even has a word for that. It's called mercy. Mercy is when you don't receive what you deserve. And we all wanna be on the receiving end of mercy, but forgiveness causes us to be on the giving end. How do you give mercy? The only way to give mercy is to first receive it, and the great thing is you and I have received incredible mercy from the God of the universe. The Bible says in Ephesians 2, while we were enemies, while we were aliens, while we were, we were it, without hope and without God in the world, we were far off from God and we've been brought near through Jesus. I don't think Paul ever lost sight of the fact before he built the church, he killed Christians. I don't think Peter ever lost sight of the fact that in, when, in the moment when his friend needed him the most, when he needed him to pray for him, when he needed to encourage him, when he needed him to stand with him, Peter denied him to the lowest person in the environment, the lowest social status in the environment. And the Bible says that when he denied him, he looked right at Jesus in that moment and he knew what he did. How do you recover from a moment like that? Well, John 21, Jesus goes back, finds Peter. Peter had quit, went back to fishing. Jesus comes and meets him in that moment. He meets him in that moment and he gently restores him. When you've been on the receiving end of that kind of restoration, you don't see it as something that somebody else can earn. You see it as a gift that you've freely received and so now you can freely give it. If you're in Christ, if you have peace, you've received that gift and as Paul says, just as you've received it, it's now time to give it. I don't have to ask wondering whether this is true or not. Every one of us in the room has the opportunity to forgive. You're gonna have the opportunity to forgive someone this week. Could be someone at work, could be someone in your family, could be someone on a road, could be someone in passing at the store, could be someone online, could be someone who makes a comment on something you post, it could be someone anywhere. You're gonna have the opportunity to forgive them. When you think about what will it take for you to forgive them, it's an understanding of how Jesus forgave you. I think it's sometimes helped to think about it this way. If you were to stop for a moment, just close your eyes right where you're at. If you were to stop for a moment and you were to think, do this online, you're, you're watching online, stop for a moment, close your eyes. Who's the one person in your life that you would struggle to forgive? Your fear is, you think, Jed, if I forgive them, they're gonna get away with it. Jed, if I, I forgive them, I'm only gonna get hurt worse. Jed, you don't know. Here, here's what I do know. Jesus forgave you. Your forgiving them is not a promise that you're gonna be restored. Your forgiving them is not a promise that you're gonna have a happily ever after and the two of you are gonna become best friends. It doesn't mean that you need to go seek them out and tell them that you forgive them. Forgiveness is you saying to God, God, I'm gonna let you do what only you can do. You're the convictor, you're the judge. 
of the universe. It doesn't do me any good to try to withhold judgment, to try to ensure this person receives for what they did. I let it go, not because it wasn't wrong, but because I trust you, Jesus. There's incredible freedom. Problem with bitterness is you think you're punishing the other person. The person who's punished is you. Don't spend one more day in that place. Just right where you're at. Just say, Jesus, out of my obedience to you, I release them. I'm gonna ask you to stand on your feet. In an attitude of prayer, as we've closed every service, we're gonna close this series. Go ahead and keep those eyes closed, if you would, as you make your way up. Jesus, we know that companies can't produce this. Political institutions can't produce this. Sports franchises can't produce this. Lord, only you can create peace and unity among your people. Lord, help us to be those kind of people who make every effort to keep the bond of peace. Not because we don't have struggles, not because it is easy, not because we don't get our feelings hurt, not because we don't wrong, not because we don't have things that we wanna yell from the rooftops, but because we value you and we value your peace. Lord, let us be carriers of your peace. Let us be people who experience it in our homes, in our workplace, in our community, in our nation. God, we need you more than ever before, Lord, and as we love and serve others the way that you love and serve us, we know we'll experience your presence in a powerful way, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message. If there's anything we can do to help you in your walk with Jesus, please don't hesitate to reach out through our website at milestonechurch.com. And if you found this podcast helpful, leave a review on the podcast app or your favorite podcast platform. We hope you have a great week.